Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to helping business owners prepare for exit so you can maximize value and exit on your terms. This is the Exit Insights podcast presented by Succession Plus. I'm Daryl Bates Brownsword, and today I'm talking to Joe Gracci. Joe's based in Toronto, Canada, and he's got a fantastic story to share with us just around his experiences of growing his own business and, and running it and exiting it uh, and uh, end up to uh, selling it to a strategic buyer. So welcome, Joe. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Daryl. I really appreciate it. So look, I've just, Joe... I've introduced you, but uh, I've possibly uh, slid over things a little quickly. Why don't you just give us a little bit of a background about uh, the business that we're talking about, just some some headline levels um, and and high level of the journey, and then we can dig in because what I really want to explore with you today um, is your experience as the leader of the organization and just what that meant and um, you know, as a as a leader and owner of the organization. Just how you found that experience, shall we say? Yeah, so I, uh, I've been a business builder my whole career. So that was, you know, I've been on the business side of the technology industry for over 20 years. And I had a really, really great opportunity uh, when I was recruited to run a North American level software distribution company called Interwork Technologies. And that was the real test around, you know, how to build a business uh, from taking it from its its old sort of vision and way of doing things to creating a whole new vision and taking it into some really different spaces. And so that was a really exciting journey. Um, we had uh, nine consecutive years of, of revenue and profit growth. I sold it to private equity after seven years. I stayed on for a few more years uh, at my option and we sold it again to a strategic buyer. So since then, I've, I've been doing some investing and advisory work, but uh, but that was a really, really interesting experience. Yeah. So so would you say seven years or nine years of, of growth? Um, what, what sort of growth are we talking about, Joe? Year on year, year growth, just to set the scene. Yeah. So it was a mature company. We started at 40 million in revenue and we... Uh, at the at the end of it, we grew it to 100 million in in revenue. So some years we had you know 10 percent growth, other years we had 20, 30 percent growth. Uh, but but we it was it was very consistent, uh, both on the top line and the bottom line. It's an interesting point you make around the growth varying between 10 and say 30 or 40 percent, because I guess a lot of people hear about startups and having their wild ride and they, and they tend to think of, you know, if they were to draw a curve on a graph um, of some sort of exponential line, a curve sort of gradually getting steeper and steeper going up, um, or at least a straight line graph um, with a steady gradient. But the reality is, um, and similar to what you've just described, is that they, they tend to grow in steps. We, we grow a bit and then we, we fill out the capacity, then we grow a bit more and then we fill out the capacity and, and uh, we refer to it as platform and growth. And um, is that something that was deliberate and conscious growth or, or looking back, was it just kind of that's the way it unfolded for you guys? Well, we made some really important strategic decisions early on. So when I took over the company, it was um, in various technologies, you know, trying to be a specialty distributor, but we had a, a very generalized strategy around what technologies that we were supporting. So when I went in, we realized that we were sitting on some really important assets in the cybersecurity space. 
And that was growing at three times the rate of the rest of the IT industry. So we made a, a decision to double down on the cybersecurity industry, and that's what really paid off for us. So there was some, in those first few years, it was some, you know, restructuring of product lines, of people, align, aligning our teams, our, our capabilities, et cetera, and then going to market. And then, and then, and then it just sort of took off. So we had some, those early years of, you know, 10, 10, 15% growth. And then we had some years where, where it was more like 20, 30% growth, but it was reflective of some of the strategies that were starting to get implemented. Okay. So you're talking about strategy and, 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 you know, when you plan these, these, um, you know, put strategies in place, you know, the outcome is you get growth lagging after the plan. Does that link back to, I guess, the classic of, of what we hear as, as business owners, you know, that really comes out of Gerber's book about working on your business rather than in your business? Is that, is that something that you consciously did and, and aim to apply? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, there's, there's some important steps there because sometimes you have to work in the business so that you can get to working on the business. So I'll give you an example. When I first started, yes. um, the culture was, was fairly, uh, week it was uh we needed a new strategy our our people uh, the skill sets weren't quite aligned so i had to get in the weeds and i was in the weeds for a good 12 to 16 months um, on getting those pieces i would say correct course corrected or or in place and and so sometimes it requires us to be in the business but i think the challenge is knowing when to pull yourself away right? And let go and start working on the business. So working on the business is more around leading, culture building, strategizing, creating systems and templates for your team, uh, you know, managing performance, uh, you know, advocating, evangelizing for the company. That's all, those are all the skill sets and, and time that you need on, you know, working on the business versus in the business where you're monitoring and, you know, quality control and you're attending every internal and external meeting just to make sure things are are going well and that's where you can really get caught in in say the forest of of business yeah look and i guess for a lot of people who found themselves ended up owning or running a business it can be a hard transition to make because they started their business based around a skill or a, a technical ability that they had um, and then as they grow their business, they're, they're really good and they're typically the best person at that skill in their business. And then at some point they need to back off, they need to mentor, they need to guide, they need to have the, built the systems for others to do things the ways that they've um, applied their, their technical expertise. And then they have to make the transition. And I've seen the trans, the struggles a lot have with that transition in that they go, well, I know what I have to do day in, day out. You know, when I'm working in the business, the feedback is, I know what I'm doing. I can be productive. I can be generating revenue for the business. But you tell me I have to work on the business, and no one's really taught me how to do that. And I'm not sure I know where to start. And when I just sit down and think, I struggle to see that as value and, and how it's going to add value to the business. And I'm not really sure what I should be thinking about. Have you got any insights there, Joe, how you made that transition and how, you know, from in to on the business and you know, what you experienced? Yeah, so for, first off, what I did was uh, within one year of, of getting that first sort of role leading a company and, and running it was I joined a peer group. 
uh, which was uh-huh. helpful because I needed to think a little bit differently about the business. And I was uh, getting a little perplexed at why everybody was agreeing with me and thought all my ideas were great ideas. <laughs> so, so I realized then that I, that I needed a, uh, a network uh, and a group that I could take uh, important issues and, and, uh, and, and learn from people who have, who have been in, in those, in those places before. So, so that's, you know, that was one thing that, that was really helpful to me. And, uh, you know, the, the other things that, that are, you know, really important in terms of trying to pull yourself away is, is to start thinking about systems and processes and templates and how to enable your team and sort of create this, I had a customer service attitude around my team, which is they were my customer. And so I was, I was really trying to figure out, you know, what are some of the things that are going to make it easier for them to do their jobs, to enable them to be more independent, uh, to make autonomous decisions. And so I focused more of my attention around, around systems, templates, processes to enable them. Okay. So, and when you say, you're systemizing and structuring or really standardizing the workflow of the business. Have I understood that correctly? So it's it's reliable and, and repeatable and consistent. Yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah absolutely. And, and, and so my, my role in that was to define what that looks like. It wasn't my role to start managing it and implementing it. Okay. So I, and, and that's the difference between working on the business versus in the business. Cause I think some, some leaders get caught up in the implementation of that. I think what's important is you actually define what it looks like and then bring your team in to, to be able to, to, to work on it and implement it or, or perhaps have some, some external help along the way. Yeah. So you design it. So your big idea, strategic idea was to design it and then go, Hey, look guys, we need to make this happen. So Joe. Yeah. A lot of pushback, I guess, when we talk about systems and structuring and standardizing workflow for, for consistency is a lot of people go that that, that um, restricts creativity. And it, yeah, if I'm understanding your business, when it was in those high growth phases, like it's, it's creative um, entrepreneurial businesses that, that, are, you know, that do have those high growth, did it stifle creativity? And what impact did it have on, on innovation and creativity in your business? It actually enabled creativity and innovation because my role was to set the framework and then we left it up to the teams to decide and and make some of those micro decisions on what makes sense for them, what makes sense for for their workflow and for their process and, and whatnot. So I'll give you a bit of an example. I said... You know, one of the one of the key initiatives um, we did was uh, was we said we're going to go paperless. Okay, so everything we do and everything we look at, everything we touch, we we want to just digitize our whole process, right? And so that was the goal. That was the overarching goal, and we actually set objectives around that. So, and the objectives were, and, and this is where we can sort of get into a little bit of you know some of the management that we did. But uh, every quarter we had. Uh, quarterly bonuses and objectives that we would set for our, our team members. And within it, we would say, you know, identify, you know, two or three processes that we can digitize or, or, you know, remove, you know, uh, 
paper or, 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 or manual handling from. And, and they would come up with their own ideas around that. So, so I think sometimes you just, you know, you set the, the vision and the goal, but you have to allow your team to, to sort of rise to, um, you know, their level of creativity and, and innovation and, and be able to make recommendations and where you're actually acting upon it and taking those recommendations and implementing it. Another example is, is our uh, ERP system. Uh, we had a lot of uh, sales reps uh, complaining about how it took very long to to do certain types of transactions. And I said, well, okay, make a recommendation. I said, we have a blank check. So we have a blank check on ERP enhancements. Go. And the ideas came forward. They were great ideas. We prioritized them. We implemented most of them. And it just made their jobs faster and easier. So so I think when we talk about you know setting these these frameworks, you also have to allow that time and space and ability and sometimes incentives for your team members to 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 bring their their best uh, ideas forward and that's what we did yeah that sounds i think i've heard that before described as freedom in the framework whereas you know the the ownership or the leadership of the you know, provided the framework here's the framework of how we're going to operate now within your roles you've got freedom to operate within that framework and make your own decisions and and it sort of had a nice catchphrase to it so Joe, you, you mentioned that I, I think you, you sold the business uh, to a PE um, about seven years in. How how long before that that transaction or that that deal with the PE company did you start thinking about succession and and that you might have to change and adapt your role to enable it to well help with your, the valuation that the PE would bring? How, how long before the deal did you start thinking about succession? Is the question. It was about uh, about a year because it, it it took uh, a little bit of uh, you know convincing for you know getting the other shareholders on board and and um, deciding that yes this is the best path forward and we should we should sell the company and um, so it was it was about it was about a year. Okay, and did you have any view or um, you? Know- concept or of what the valuation of the business might be worth at that time or or was it just sort of plucking numbers out of the sky and, and aspirational and, and hope numbers <laughs> yeah we we did some some homework with uh, MA advisors uh, we also had uh, an offer from a strategic buyer about a year prior to that okay uh, who was a very acquisitive buyer and and they sort of um, helped us identify the uh, the mark what the market's willing to pay for the business, and so we had some some really good data points and some real you know situations that came up that, that helped us identify what the. So you had a really big valuation, but but the interesting question, the follow up question is that is what stopped when you were approached by a strategic buyer earlier? What stopped that deal from going ahead? Yeah, so it was uh, it would have been a, a great fit. Um, so as far as fit and complementary businesses it was uh it was wonderful there was a lot of uh synergies uh, as well and you know it was actually the other shareholders that um uh, that held up that deal so they wanted to buy the business and and keep me on as a shareholder and run run the company okay and so the other shareholders got really excited about the combination and they don't want to buy it. They didn't, they didn't want to sell out. And so that, uh, that was a sticking point uh, for us. So they got so excited. They didn't want to sell their shares. <laughs> <laughs> it's 
a catch twenty two <laughs> by the sounds of it. <clears throat> it is. It is. Okay, so so we're starting to think about exit, and we're starting to think about, I guess, a future. Um, that future could see you involved in you know for for a couple of years um, as as a you know the next you know the ongoing leader with I guess additional investment in the company. Where did that lead? Like you know, in terms of role and 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 dependence, you know, were were you conscious that you know they they needed you to be be part of that future deal because the business was dependent on you, or was it they were saying, hey Joe, you're the obvious um, you know. Yeah, CEO for the role moving forward just because you're the best person for the job. Yeah, it was the latter. So I spent a lot of time ensuring, and I, and I did this throughout my whole career, which was, and, and it helped me elevate my career by building teams so that it wasn't uh, dependent on me. And so when when I was building uh, Intwork over that you know seven year period, um, I, I looked at every functional area i looked at every point of dependence and, and and not just the dependence on me necessarily but also other points of dependence that were embedded inside the organization so so i made a conscious effort um that you know we needed to build in a way that you know i i could leave for a month and it wouldn't have a you know a, a devastating you know impact on the company or it couldn't function without me and so that was actually a feature that the private equity group really liked. And be, because for them, that gives them flexibility. So they chose to keep me on board. They wanted me to continue to lead the company and continue on our path and, and the vision and mission that we set out because they, they, uh, they subscribed to that. And, and so, you know, the fact that the, my, my role in the company uh, and and my leadership style and, and how I built the the operation that it wasn't completely dependent on me was actually a, a perceived uh, reduction in risk on, on yeah. their part. And it increased the attractiveness uh, factor because if things didn't work out, if for one reason or another, you know, post-close and it happens a lot where uh, for whatever reason, the 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 leader, the CEO is is uh, not in alignment with the with the buying group. Then you know they they felt that um, I would imagine they felt that hey, we have some flexibility here. If it doesn't work out with Joe, well, you know uh, he built such a a great business that we could uh, bring in a different leader and it wouldn't uh, affect us. And there was a benefit in in for me in in doing it that way as well uh, because I didn't have to agree to any long-term contracts or, or, or uh, you know, erroneous earnouts as, as part of the deal. Okay. So, so we're talking about earnouts and, um, and, and dependence. How, like a lot of business owners say, look, the business isn't dependent on me, but in reality it is. <clears throat> so, you're in negotiation, so just imagine back to the point of you're, you're talking to the PE company and you go, look, the business isn't dependent on me. How did you demonstrate that? How did you convince them? What evidence did you sort of you know, use to go, look, here's the reason why the business isn't dependent on me. Here's my role. Here's, here's how we, we work together. So the real test is when they're not talking to you, okay? Because 
you know, we're, we're in selling mode, right? So we're saying, yeah, you know, the business doesn't depend on me, doesn't rely on me, but you know, the true test of that is during due diligence. Okay. When they're, you know, asking deeper questions, getting, getting uh, more information, they're talking to your next layer of, of the management team. And, and that's where the rubber hits the road as far as whether, you know, the business is, is truly independent of the business owner. Uh, from the business owner's perspective versus the, the actual test, which is, which is during due diligence. Yeah. Yeah. I've also heard it said in the past is, um, you know, during due diligence, the business kept growing, the business kept working to plan while I, the business owner, you know, was, was able to allocate and dedicate a lot of time to working with the, the buyers in due diligence and almost you know, a big portion of their time was working on the due diligence and the business just kept going to plan. You know, and the, the feedback was that was the best evidence ever. So, um, okay. So, yeah. so Joe, looking back, you know, what would you do differently? Uh, you know, I guess, how do you feel about the fact that you've sold the business now? Any, any second thoughts? Yeah, I, I don't have regrets. It was a conscious effort and a decision uh, that I made for, for various reasons, but I, I do regret, uh, building the business a little bit differently along the way. Okay. Um, I would have, um, you know, made some different bets and, and, um, decisions, uh, within the company that were, you know, I would say there were certain, you know, windows, uh, to do that. And, and so, uh, so for example, you know, I would, you know, would have doubled down on, expanding our geographical uh, footprint. Um, I probably would have bought out the other shareholders first uh, just to sort of, you know, have full, full control over the, the process and, and, um, and, and, you know, eliminate some of those, you know, potential obstacles when you are in, in, in the exit process. So I, I would have done a few things differently, but I have no regrets. Uh, we, we, you know, we exited, it was a conscious decision. We, we got a very fair offer. Um, and, and so, um, yeah. So the only thing I would have done is, is probably I would have, I would have built a little bit differently, maybe made an acquisition or two. Okay. So, and I guess that leads us naturally to the, you know, what, what did you learn during that exit process? You know, um, with the, the first one specifically where you've got, you've learned some things and, you know, I guess there was some, you know, potentially, well, I didn't see that coming or I wasn't aware that that would, would happen the way it is that you were able to apply for the second exit, uh, the second bite of the cherry, so to speak. Yeah. It's a couple of uh, interesting learnings. I, I think the biggest is, is, um, is how extensive and grueling the due diligence process really is. And, yeah. and so I think, you know, just going through that process, uh, was, was opening, Uh, and, and so there was a lot of, you know, learnings uh, around that. Uh, you know, I think so, some of the other things that I, I advocate today is, and, and we, we sort of managed the deal on our own, but I, I would certainly have an advisor on, on the next one, uh, who, who can sort of manage the the uh, you know some of the dynamics especially when there's multiple shareholders involved and uh you know deal structuring and, and whatnot so definitely uh, had a lot of learning uh, around that 
And, you know, sometimes it's, it's also qualifying the buyer. And, and, and I think, you know, in the first case, you know, with the private equity firm, you know, it was a great fit. Um, you know, the, I, I thought there was, was going to be some, some great opportunities where they would bring in, you know, capital, invest in the business differently, take our vision forward uh, as well. On the second one, which was uh, one that didn't go through, um, it was around qualifying the buyer and their intent, intentions, and and so that that uh, was certainly a, another learning experience for me as well, and and that was you know a, a quite long drawn out process, <laughs> and at the end of it we didn't have a deal, so yeah, <clears throat> okay. So there's always a lot of learnings that um, you you. Um... Yeah, include you know, getting advisors involved and you know they can act as a bit of a mediary um you know between you and other shareholders or or you and the buyers and i hear you know good cop bad cop um and and people who've sold businesses before because when we're running a business and we're selling our product it's different to selling our business and and we might get a bit you know have some attachment there as business owners so a bit of learning there the due diligence, the amount of thoroughness and depth that you go to in due diligence is is another big awareness piece. Um, and, and I guess, you know, a lot of things that, that we hear from business owners is if I only knew what to prepare in advance and have ready, because then when the due diligence comes, I can just go, there you go, there you go, there you go. And it would save a lot of time and distractions and and uh, momentum during that that process. <clears throat> So, Joe, I guess it's just really one last question that that uh, the listeners are, are are waiting for, and that's out of everything you've learned, you know, being the CEO, um, shareholder of the organisation, growing it consistently, getting out of the day to day, and and working on the business, and dedicating a lot of your time to the strategic side of the business, working on the business. Um, leading the, the the growth and and making sure that your the business isn't dependent on you or overly dependent on any other single point um, and then taking it through to getting PE on board and then ultimately a, a sale to a strategic advisor advisor a buyer rather strategic buyer through that whole cycle and and the the, the story that you've shared with us today what's the one key message? If you can distill it down to one, but what's the the overall message or theme that you you you'd like by our listeners to take away from the our conversation today? Yeah, you know, I think there's uh, you, you know we underestimate the impact that business owner dependence has on, on a company, on its valuation, on its uh, attractiveness, on its growth potential, the ability to scale. So, it, and it extends well beyond the business owner. It looks very deeply into your business. So when we talk about business owner dependence, we're not just talking about the business owner, but um, all the layers inside uh, the organization to make it autonomous, to make it resilient, and uh, using that as an opportunity uh, for growth planning and, and scaling. Because at the end of the day, if you can do that and build an owner independent business i mean the options significantly expand the attractiveness for your business uh for buying your business uh and and working with you uh, and the perceived risk you know significantly more favorable uh to the business owner so i'd say that's the one thing i would uh i would uh want uh, listeners to take away today so just 
beware too much dependence on on the owner and and by extension to to too much dependence on a supplier or, or even a client i guess that uh, applies to as well joe Gracci, thank you for sharing your exit insights with us today i've learned a lot and uh, appreciate uh, you joining us thanks sir i appreciate you having me great stuff i hope you enjoyed this episode of the exit insights podcast and if you have Now's a good time to subscribe and make sure you get notified of all future episodes. Now, if the topics have raised questions about the value potential in your business or how you will exit like a boss, then contact me and arrange a free strategy call where we can discuss what's required for you. Otherwise, if you'd simply like to learn more about how to prepare for when you want to exit, then you can download a copy of our ebook called It All Begins With Insights. The link is in the show notes. In this book, we'll show you how a business insights report can be used to assess your business to uncover your intangible assets and identify the value potential if you're ready for exit and your business is exit ready.